Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Excited to have you with us once again today. We just got done for a couple episodes in a row talking about fairy tales from Nepal, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, and now we're going to be making like a quick about face back into (laughs) Northern Europe. Sharp turn back into Europe, into our comfort zone. (laughs) 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 Where we've got a great topic for us. Katrina, you want to tell us about what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, I'm like, actually, this isn't totally my comfort zone. I was just telling Jeff that Norse mythology that we're going to be talking about today, I actually did not know that much about it before we started doing the podcast. I knew that it was an important part of uh, fairy tale lore and elements were borrowed from it, but I didn't really have like a firm grasp on North mythology, Norse mythology. So this isn't super my comfort zone, but I'm really excited because I've been doing a lot of research into it. When we first started the podcast in our introductory episode, we talked about how one of the things we're most excited about was our audience, our listeners, kind of directing us into new areas to look at. And that's exactly what happened when Aurora, after we did East of the Sun, West of the Moon, wrote in and was telling us about uh, textile magic and satyr work. Yeah. I was like, what? Textile magic? That's yeah. a thing? Which it ties so well into fairy tales all over. So it makes sense that it's a thing, yeah. but it was kind of like mind blowing. Because one of the things that comes up a lot is symbolically are like tools of domestic female work, the spinning wheel, distaff, carding combs, that kind of stuff. They, they come up a lot. And so I knew that like those symbols of uh, female domestic life and symbols of like beauty were motifs that come up again and again in fairy tale work. But I had no idea about Seder work. And anything like that. So this was actually really fascinating to kind of do a dive into. You know, it's really funny. I was thinking a lot about like textile magic and not just, I guess not textile magic, but like textiles in general. And like how we've talked about them on the podcast, because I was making masks for my family and for like some friends. I have a friend who's a police officer. And so I was like trying to make him some masks that would like match his uniforms so he could wear them while he's like out interacting with people and stuff like that yeah and uh so like i made my son a mask that had like batman on it he's like oh why don't you make one that's like this and it was like this other thing i was like well we don't have the fabric for that and he's like well why don't you just make some more fabric don't you know how to make fabric (laughs) and i was like oh man do we have a a distaff and spindle lying around how do we go about this i don't know and then he started asking like oh how's fabric made which i still don't really know but i was like um it's like woven and stuff it was just funny. So I was thinking about like the whole thing of like, yes, because, we're so separated from the yeah. making of the actual fabric and even making things out of fabric. Like that's not something that we really do that often. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And we are so separated 
from the knowledge of like how all of that happens that I think it is easy to forget why women are so intricately tied to those symbols in like mythologies. And it is like so much of a, like a woman's time was spent, especially in like cold climates. It was spent working on creating pounds and pounds and pounds of fabric because they needed it for clothing to keep warm in Uh the wintertime. They needed it for bedding. And then also in the northern places that you think of like Vikings, they needed cloth for sails. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you know this, sails are very large. (laughs) Yeah, huge. Oh, my gosh. To think now, like, making the fabric for sails by hand. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, and, like, it, especially when you, like, you start with the raw material of, like, either wool, flax, and there is one other that I'm trying to remember that were the three that they had available to them but yeah it was mostly the wool and flax oh wow that's crazy and so when you think it starts from like it's on a sheep to like now it's a sail just a gigantic sail like on a A wool sail or flax i don't know i don't know which flax is what linen flax makes linen yeah and that's that's a plant fiber yeah i'm like was the third one hemp i can't remember what the third one i read about was and it's like, and all this stuff too, it's like, when did cotton become a thing? Like, it's oh, just so, not there's so much I don't long, know. Not a long, time. You could fill many, many books with what I don't know about <laughs> <laughs> textiles. And then, because like in that area, there wasn't like silk from silk worms, worms I would assume. We're probably, anybody who knows anything about, like, textiles is probably like, wow, they don't know. They're very, very ignorant. Sometimes once you start getting into a topic, you realize, like, wow, there is so much stuff I do not know. I feel like that's the perfect place to get to. Like, I find it hard to get past that part, but I think it's healthy and good to get to that point so that you don't feel like you know when you really don't. So you don't sound like an ignorant idiot every time you try to talk about it. But it's like, but to go past that, you you really have to be like serious about it because you know that you're dedicating a lot of your life now to yeah, to be to, an to expert learning all on, this stuff. Yeah. But yeah, going back to that weaving. So one thing that in a lot of different mythologies kind of keeps coming back to weaving is the idea of fate. We've talked a lot about that on the podcast is that idea of like weaving and fate. But what's interesting to me that when I read this, I was like, whoa, that's that's crazy. So in Norse mythology, there are three Norns, which is actually the incorrect plural. (laughs) It's Nornir means multiple Uh. Norn, but I'm going to say Norns. Because we speak English. Because I I speak English. I'm going to I'll irritate anybody who is like an academic. They're like, no, it's Nornir. How dare you? But anyway, there's three of them in Norse mythology. And they are these beautiful women who sit at the roots of Idrisil, the, uh, the world tree. And they care for the roots of the tree that are holding up the nine 
worlds that are like stacked on top of this like giant tree. Cool. So they water and put mud onto the roots of Idrisil, the world tree, out, and they get the water out of the Well of Destiny. Udar Brunner? Maybe I'm saying these words right. I don't know. Sounds good to me. (laughs) But the book that we get this information about them, that like first step, it's in the Poetic Edda. And the first reference to the Norns is in the Volspa. It's the first little book that's within the Poetic Edda. And not book. They're all like really short sections of poems. Mm-hmm. So that's like wrong to say book, but it's in the first section and they're not chapters either. Cause they, they work separate from each other, mm-hmm. but anyway, the Volspa, but in it, the Norns are named. And I think it's the only place where they name them specifically in the poetic Edda. I might be completely wrong and somebody will come and come at me, um, but it's fine. But the three Norns are, Uder, Verdandi, and Schooled. So mm. they're the past, present, and future. So Uder... Is that what those things mean? Basically. Like, when you kind of go back to... They're, they're not like a direct, direct translation of those things. Right, it's not like the words are past, quote, present, quote, future, quote. Yeah, but. so Uder is what has happened. And it was funny because... I listened to this guy who studies kind of the etymology of these like old Norse words. And he had like a pet peeve where people will say like, Oh, Uder is related to the old English word for weird. And so it's connected to the weird sisters in Shakespeare that way. And he's like, no, the old English word for weird is connected to Uder. But the word weird means fate, and Uder does not mean fate. It's the name of a person. So, ah. but that's, this is kind of the, where they split and separate. And there are people yeah. who kind of study where, like, these, like, old Norse words separate from old English words. And so yeah. there, there are people that, like, deeply study that. And, like, it is very important to them, like, the distinction right. of where these words separate and yeah. how far they travel, like, away from each other. Well, I listened to, like, a really great podcast called Lexicon Valley that's all about, like, linguistics and stuff. And on there, I'm pretty sure you talked about how, like, Old English and becoming the English that we know now basically is because you had like Vikings coming in and having children with, you know, English, the ancestors of English people. And so they were speaking like really bad kind of simplified English. So the English language got simplified because all these Norse Vikings had come in and couldn't speak English properly. And that became the English that we speak today. Yay. No, it's funny because recently I was telling somebody that I was listening to a modern adaptation of Beowulf and they were like, oh, that's too bad because I think it should always be read and like the original because it's so flowery and beautiful. And I was like, no, no, no. Old English is not the same as English. Like, Old English is like, you cannot understand what they're saying by looking at it. Yeah. It's not that I'm like, it's not the difference between like, Shakespeare and like Twilight or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like 
Shakespeare speaks the same, like, as far as, like, Middle English, Old English. Like, he speaks modern English. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or wrote in modern English and spoke modern yeah, English. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, I'm not talking about Middle English either. I'm talking Old, old English. English. Yeah, where it's like, no, 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 it's a completely different language. So anyway, but yeah, Uder is the oldest of the fates, um, or not the fates, the Norns. And her name is means like what has happened, um, what has like become. Verdandir means happening or becoming. So that's the present. Mm. And then yeah. schooled is actually the root of the English word should, as in like what should uh, happen in the future. Yeah. So these three Norns sit at the base of the world tree and it says that they carve the fate onto the word is kind of loosely translated to stick, but it is also actually the root word for ski. What we would think of as skis. Mm, Um, because I, and this, I found out while doing research ski, the invention of skis is almost as old as the invention of the wheel. Oh my gosh. Which you don't think about it, but it's like, well, people had to figure out how to get around in like snow and they invented snowshoes and they invented Uh, like skis. That's crazy. So anyway, but so the Norns would actually carve fate onto a stick. (laughs) Yeah, onto a ski. (laughs) And so it's like, okay, wait. So this first kind of mention of them, they are not weaving. Mm -hmm. They're carving. They're carving. But here's what gets really kind of difficult when you're looking at Norse mythology is that I think all of the written accounts that we have of Norse mythology were written down after Christianity had already come into and been accepted by the people. Mm -hmm. So the people who were writing down all the information that we have on Norse mythology mythology they weren't actually practitioners of that pagan religion right and so you're like one step but multiple generations away from people who practiced yeah and so our understanding of like what the norns did is really hard to understand because throughout the written accounts that we have where the person who wrote down this first one in the Poetic Edda, they said carve the fate, but then you have other stories even within the Poetic Edda, but maybe from different writers yeah, where they describe fates completely differently. And so it's hard to tell what was actually believed and what was actually practiced by the people of that yeah. day. So, going back to weaving, there are other stories that have Norns come and they weave. So, you have stories of mythology and stories of the gods, but then you also have stories of the heroes. So, this is a story of a hero. And inside this story of, like, one of the heroes, at the beginning, the Norns appear at the birth of the king... And it says that they carry with them fate threads or golden threads. And Mm. it says they like tie down these threads 
more in a, a non like literal sense, but they tie them down to the expanse of his what's going to be his future lands, yeah. and also proclaim that he's going to be a great warrior and all of these like amazing things are going to happen. So within the same collection of like poems and prose that you have, Oh, the Norns carve things onto skis and they stay at the base of the world tree. You also have this idea of these Norns going to the birth of children or maybe just the birth of like a nobility and uh, laying down like their fate or telling the fate of what this child will eventually do. So when you connect them to weaving, you may be right. <laughs> but they do more and more get connected throughout the poetry with like the idea of weaving. So moving from that kind of story that's in the poetic at a that I just gave you a really short clip about that story is actually more famous for the, there's a part where like two different guys have like a, an insult battle and prose with each other, which like, (laughs) I'm going to call it a rap battle. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, there's like that, this like story of like this hero that starts with like those Norns appearing. But Jeff, I, I think you have a story to tell us about some Norns. Yes, I do. Uh, you sent me a story from something called, and here it comes me butchering my, you know, Icelandic, the complete Fornaldsogar Nordulanda, or the legendary sagas of the Northland. And I will see I was reading the English translation of this. And this is the story of Norna Guest, who's a dude. Uh, his friends call him Just Guest, though. So that's what I will be doing. Nice. <laughs> One day, there's this king... Named Olaf. Perfect. And he was a snowman. No. <laughs> his, his name was Olaf Trigov. Nope, I'm just going to call him Olaf. <laughs> <laughs> so there once was a king called King Olaf. And a mysterious guest shows up whose name is Norna Guest or Guest. There's actually a joke, isn't there, where he's like, what is your name? And he's like, Guest. And Olaf is like, anybody who comes here is Guest. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, tell the dad joke, Jeff. <laughs> Apparently digging this sweet pun invites him to stay. And this mysterious guest, the people really like him. He starts telling all these great stories of adventures he's been on and battles that he witnessed throughout his life. But the king is listening to these and he's like, some of these things that happened were like hundreds of years ago. How do you know all of this stuff? And so guest is like, okay. Let's take this back to the beginning. The tape rewinds. He's like, (laughs) when I was born. (laughs) I love when you do sound effects. (laughs) You gotta. I get made fun of all the time for doing sound effects. It's just part of how I talk. I love them. Anyway, so yeah. So it rewound at the beginning and then the voiceover started. When I was born in my father's house, his father's from Denmark. And his father was like super rich, lived in this really lavish, fancy pants house. And three Norns or Nornir came when Guest was a small baby. And so these Norns that we talked about, like they call them in the story seeresses or prophetesses. And they're like these female beings that rule destiny. So the father invited these Norns to a feast. And it was kind of customary to give them gifts as well when they came to 
tell the fate of your child or whatever. And so the, the Norns come in and they go to Guest's cradle and they're about to kind of like lay down his fate. There are like two candles burning above his bed. It was at night. And there was like this whole crowd of these kind of ribald men around, which I don't <laughs> know why that was, but they were. And it becomes very pertinent shortly. So the first two of these Norns start prophesying about Guess and they're saying like, oh, he's going to be very lucky. He's going to be the greatest of, you know, all his forefathers from this point till now. He's going to be one of the greatest of your line that there's ever been. And the youngest Norn was kind of annoyed because I guess like no one really consulted her about any of the prophecies. And then on top of it all, like these, again, ribald men were like horsing around and they like pushed her off of her seat and she fell on the floor. And so she got up and she was very angry. She's like, okay, you know what's going to happen? And this may sound familiar to some people. She's like, I prophesy that guest is not going to live longer than that candle that burns beside his bed. And like the other Norns are like, oh my gosh, the oldest one especially was like, uh, what do we do? So she blows out the candle real quick, wraps it up and gives it to the mother. She's like, take this and hide it because that's going to be his fate now. As soon as this yeah. candle burns out, he's going to die. So... Once Guest has become a man and is full grown, his mother gets the candle and gives him and tells him the whole thing. is like, hey, this candle is basically like your life. Protect it like it is such. So then he tells him that whole story and basically tells the king like, oh, I'm actually like 300 years old. And so the king's <laughs> like, well, why have you come here? And the king was like, you know, I was ha hoping that I would have good fortune uh, by coming here, you know, I've been praised by many good and wise men around. So I was hoping that I could be the same for you. I don't exactly know what he means. Like you're just going to be expecting like money or just have a good life or what it was. But anyway, the king really liked him, but he brought this whole thing. He's like, well, have you been baptized? And he's like, no, I haven't been baptized. He's like, I think you should get baptized. And so guest was like, sure. Why not? If that'll make you happy. And then he's baptized. And so Guest was kind of a loyal retainer for the king for many, many years. And everyone in, in that king's kingdom loved him. And one day the king asked Guest, he's like, hey, so, you know, how much longer do you want to live? And Guest kind of like, you know what? I think we're kind of nearing the end here. Again, I'm 300 years old. I've lived a yeah, good long life. So having been baptized, I guess, <laughs> Guest lit the candle, knowing that he was soon going to die, asked some of the king's servants to anoint his body with oil, prepare him for like burial and all that stuff. The candle burned down the rest of the way. And just like the prophecy had stated, when the candle burned out, he died. Fulfilling the prophecy that the Nornir had, or really the one Norn had, <laughs> had destined him for way back at his birth. The end. What's so interesting to me about the end of that is the Christianity versus the North Norse mythology. Yeah. Because even though they're like, oh, he got baptized. And so now he was ready as like a good Christian to die because he'd been baptized. Yeah. The fate that was given to him by a Norse mythological figure still had that power. Yeah. And so it's funny because it, the story ends but it doesn't necessarily like prove that christianity is like stronger than norse mythology or that good people are christian people so yeah there's that that kind of funny ending 
you know, when he was talking to the king first, I kind of skipped over at the beginning, but he told him before that he had not been baptized at the very beginning when he came to stay at the king's house. And the king was like, well, I can't believe, you know, whoever king of Denmark or whatever, you know, Hamlet's dad before he got killed. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's the only king of Denmark I know. And I don't even think it's a real person. Um, you know, I can't believe he let you be in his kingdom and not be baptized. Like you're going to have to get baptized sometime around here, but it doesn't really seem like guest actually wanted to, but he just wanted to please the King. Yeah. And guest being kind of like the main character of the story. It's like, he didn't seem like he was into the Christianity thing. He was just trying to be a good retainer to the King. And like you said, the whole story was revolving around the fate that these, you know, Norse mythological beings had put upon him that came true, that extended his life to 300 years. And then he died. Like, as far as we know, that is written in the text or told in the story. Nothing actually came of him being baptized. And it does feel like we've talked about this in other stories as well. It feels like it was totally just tacked on there. Like people writing it were like, oh, yeah. he's a good person. So like we have to have him get baptized before he burns the rest of the candle and dies because otherwise, you know, he'll go to hell or whatever the case may be. Yeah, like, it you're like, really it, does it feel almost feel like on. an afterthought. Yeah. Uh, so we started off with like the three Norns and the three Norns coming into like people's houses. But now the Norns did not do Seder magic. They didn't do the textile magic. So the Norns weren't Seder workers. They were magical and they do get referenced like in terms of like fate and telling what somebody's fate are. They... The Norns are usually about kind of telling what somebody's fate is. They're not concentrating on, like, changing it. Which, actually, there's, like, a lot of, like, peace in that. Because even within, like, the the poetic Edda, the gods all know that Ragnarok is going to come. And they know yeah. exactly which one of them are going to, like, die. But they don't do anything to actively fight against it. They're kind of just like at peace with it. They're kind of like, oh, yeah. we know what the future is. And therefore, we don't have to be afraid. And what that yeah. translates into for the the people who have like a lived experience of that mythology is that they know that the Norns have carved out their fate already onto the roots of the or not the roots of the world tree, but onto the skis. They've already <laughs> carved out their fate and their death day is known by yeah. the Norns. And so when they would be living their lives, they would think to themselves like, oh, in my beliefs, if I go into battle and today is not my marked death day, I will not die. But if today is my marked death day, and I go into a battle and I die today, I would have died today anyway because today was my marked death day. But now yeah. because I died in battle, my soul will be collected by the Valkyrie and I will be taken to be a warrior in Odin's army during Ragnarok. So my, yeah. I will have like a seat in this better place, yeah, this nobler place than just if I waited for my known death day and I died not fighting and I just went to the domain of hell, who hell is a, uh, an, a mythological character. It's not a place. <laughs> um, she, she's actually Loki's daughter. 
Oh, wow. Um, and she has hounds. She has, she has hell hounds. The hounds of hell. The hounds of hell. They're her hell But they're actually just like super sweet and like to cuddle? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's not what they are. But anyway, I just thought that was funny because it's like, oh, hell's hounds. I was like, oh, that's something I know now. But anyway, so mythology did have like a real tangible effect on like the the lived day of people yeah but knowing their fate didn't make them want to change it or fight against it yeah it made them comfortable and happy with it that they were like okay so this is my life there will be a death but it's okay there's no point in fighting back against it or trying to circumvent it because it's already been written and it's okay that's really interesting. Yeah. So with going back now to talking about, you know, the whole idea of these Norns tying fate, being very deterministic, how does, like, again, the textile magic of people, because we've talked about this before with, like, mythologies or religions, like, there are these ceremonies or rituals that people come up with in lots of cultures as ways to, like, exert control on their life. Yeah. But if you are coming in a mythology and a belief system that like everything's already laid out and it's going to be the way that it's going to be, how do you then act that out through again? Like, I don't actually think we've gotten to what textile magic is to the common folk and yeah. and how that's going to have any effect if you kind of feel like everything's already determined anyway. Yeah. So with Seder work, what's really fascinating to me, but kind of a huge bummer when you think about it magically speaking, is that we don't know a whole lot about what Seder work is or how the people would use it. Because our, uh-huh. our only clues about how it was originally thought of or performed were, again, it, they were written down by Christians. Yeah. And so normally when they would talk about like Seder workers, Seder workers, they, you know, were going through channels of people who didn't like practice it but maybe have heard parts of it described so i guess this kind of does bring us back to valkyrie there is a poem where valkyrie are and this is super fascinating because somebody was like oh we know how textiles were made back in the like uh, 1000 AD because mm-hmm. it's actually recorded in a poem how they how a loom was set up and how they used weights on the warp. The warp of a fabric is the vertical uh, uh-huh. threads, and they and would the weave is the yes is the horizontal the horizontal. So the warp uh, would be weighted down by either stones or clay pots. And the reason why they know that they had things set up like that is because there's a poem where the Valkyrie are weaving and they describe the way the loom is set up, except that the weights that they're using on the warp end are the skulls of the dead. (laughs) And the, the, the warp fabric is uh the intestines of the people who had died (laughs) and all of the tools that they are using like 
of their loom are uh, like spears, swords, bow and arrow. (laughs) Like they're using all this and these Valkyrie, this like group of them are doing this weaving as like a team. And it says they were doing war magic. They Uh, were weaving the fate of what would happen on the battlefield. So you'll see like, the people who are weaving are not the Norns. The people who are weaving are Valkyrie, are which are human or women. human women. Interesting. And you also will see Odin's wife, Frigg, or Frigga. There are several names for all and pronunciations. So I'm sorry if I mispronounced it in one way and then pronounced it right in another. But Odin's wife, Frigga. Odin would also do satyr magic. Um, and Sif... Uh, Thor's wife. And then these uh, Valkyrie, human women, it was written down that they did kind of the satyr magic of of weaving a future for the battle. And it's funny that people who are studying old textiles, like in how people... Um, used to do textile work that they like had to read that poem and they're like no what they're describing how they're describing like (laughs) using their battle tools to set up the uh, loom is exactly how we thought that people would do it except (laughs) like not with like heads and intestines and (laughs) um (laughs) not in a way that's worthy of a you know a heavy metal doolahan album (laughs) cover (laughs) seriously it's like like And I love that it's like people imagining like Valkyries or just like these gorgeous women like flying over like a battlefield, but really they're like also weaving intestines and like, yeah, just hanging out with each other being like, yeah, this is nasty. (laughs) So, but yeah, it's just, it's just funny to think that people who are like trying to study textiles are now having to like read this extremely gory poem and like reading it for clues about it. Meanwhile, I'm reading it to understand like textile magic and yeah. like how weaving went from like the the Norns to being Valkyrie doing it. And so you have this concept uh, with tied to Seder workers of having threads of fate. And there's lots of reasons why weaving and fate as a metaphor or like an allegory or whatever it, there's lots of reasons for why it works one because like once you have at every stage when you're making thread when you're making fabric you have to make decisions that once your decision is made it's determined it's made and it in some ways it does determine what will happen in the future but it cannot Uh be unmade like you can't unmake the decision after you pass like that decision point and our lives are so much like that too where you get to a decision And you can't just in your life rewind back to the beginning. Like you have to change your course just from wherever you're at in the present. Yeah. And it's the same when you're like spinning threads. But another thing that's tied to Seder work is this idea of astral projection. Ooh. Of of sending out threads of consciousness from yourself to other places and Uh there's stories where people will use this to um to find objects that are gone instead of them going to like a new land to discover something that's lost or going looking 
like a Seder worker will sit and they will send themselves their consciousness out by like a thread in and go and look without ever leaving just their consciousness leaves yeah to go look for something that's lost and then another thing that's tied with Seder work and magic is just the monotony of it that allows for kind of like hypnosis yeah because Not it, like I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like kind of like a trance like state. Yeah. Um, cause even like these people wouldn't be using a like a spinning wheel, but even like if you imagine somebody using a spinning wheel, you've got their foot that's like moving up and down to pedal it to keep it spinning. So you have the whole mechanism spinning around yeah. and around and around. And just like the rhythm, like Yeah, the rhythm, rhythm like because they're moving their body usually like back and forth like with their foot and then also their hand is slowly pulling out. It's getting the threads getting spun up and then spun into the like spoke. So even when you're imagining it like at a spinning wheel, like it is this like smooth, monotonous, like slow, like yeah. process that would be very hypnotizing to watch. Yeah, but and there's something about that that lets your mind be able to like wander. I remember I was when I was doing some volunteer work, I went to this place where basically our jobs were, it was a place where there were a bunch of people that went to work and they had, you know, severe um, either mental or physical disabilities. And so they were doing, it was a place for them to work, but they were kind of very simple jobs of like putting together these packages that had like a nut and a bolt and whatever. So our job would literally sit there and be the model for these people to copy off of where we're taking one bolt, twisting a nut on it, putting it into a bag and stapling the top of it or whatever. Yeah. And there was something about that, like that I really enjoyed, like for five hours a day, I would sit there and do this. Yeah. And like, either we could talk to each other and it'd be really good. But even in the moments where we weren't talking, like just that whole having your hands engaged in something that you didn't have to think about yeah. lets your mind kind of like wander onto other things. So I could see how that could become this very um, yeah. good ritual for people to like work through issues or to think about their lives or to, do whatever. Yeah. And even like, even if you're not the one who's actually like doing it, watching somebody do that, watching all of it like happen would be very hypnotizing. Yeah. Like watching like things like spin and just like move in like a rhythm. And even with like a distaff and a drop spindle, when the person is like pulling it out and they're twisting it, they're moving like smoothly, methodically. They've done this for years of their life for hours on end. Because again, like we said at the beginning, like fabric, they needed pounds and pounds and pounds of it to for like everything. And so if you were sitting and spinning, you knew how to do it so well, you were doing it smoothly. All the yarn was coming out, even like everything that you were doing methodical methodical just the same 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 and if you're just watching somebody like doing spinning and spinning and spinning like it's going to like hypnotize you yeah so wondering about like well what was like the point of seder work that's like an ongoing question and it's interesting because there there are people who are trying to get back to a like pagan roots and they want it to be based in what their ancestors would have done or could have done if if that religion was still alive today and they are piecing that together by looking for clues in works like this and so they don't really have like a firm understanding of what was Mm -hmm. practiced then or yeah even you know the theology or the magic practice like they're like they don't have spells they don't have 
ideas of like form or like how it worked as a community. They don't understand the the lived nature yeah. of Seder work back in the day. And so people who are trying to piece it together so that they can practice it, I mean, their guess is probably more researched than mine, but yeah. like they're not going to have a first certain answer either. But I wanted to segue into Seder work that is not related to weaving a fate, but it is that magic of um, hypnosis. There's also an element in the story I'm about to tell of kind of sending your consciousness like out and also protective wear. This story had a lot of magic in it and it was interesting because I'll, I'll tell it. nothing is better after a long day cruising down route 66 than finding a great place to get delicious food before you stop in at the famous jackrabbit trading post head over to mr g's pizza in idyllic joseph city arizona enjoy pizzas made to order toasted subs or fresh salads and when you're done grab some ice cream to enjoy while you get back on that beautiful route 66 remember to ask for andy and let him know that he needs to pay those traffic fines, whether or not the aliens do come back for him. He won't need that money in space. Mr. G's Pizza has been family-owned for 25 years, and when you're there, you're family too. But not Andy. He just works there. So the story that I'm going to be telling is actually, it's a section of chapters out of the Urpka saga, which, (laughs) I'm sorry if it just sounds like I'm making fun of people who speak Icelandic. I'm trying my best to like copy how they pronounce it. But Arpika Saga is a story about a certain region. And it's interesting because this story, it sounds almost like it's historical for the region in Iceland that Uh it was like written, but it's not Uh historical, except all of the places exist. And it's like a historical fiction almost. Uh-huh. <laughs> and what I'm absolutely loving like about reading this story, I thought it was going to be like kind of like a dry boring like text. But what I love, it's the story of these like two men and their families who came to Iceland and were settling this region. It also in the story it starts off with these men kind of having like pagan Norse mythology, like beliefs. And then through their generations, their family becomes Christian. But before their family, after, I think it's like 200 years, this like book like covers, but Uh in between that, there are two families as they start growing, they start battling over land and having all kinds of arguments. And so the book becomes a story about these two groups that are like fighting each other. But the section that I've pulled out of it, I'm really excited to tell you, is the story about Katla and Odd, or Odder, <laughs> which if I say, if I don't say it Odder, it sounds like I'm just saying Odd, Otter, like the like, animal. <laughs> like the animal um, that hold hands when they sleep and break open their food with rocks. Yes, that's, it's a story of Katla Such an adorable and- image. <laughs> Kotlin the Otter. Oh, now I want to write like a children's book. Anyway. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, 
I'm going to tell you this story. And as I'm telling it, I'm going to try to be very specific about who I am talking about and when, because a lot of the names sound really familiar. And if you don't know this family intimately and who's related to who, it gets really confusing as to why everybody's like getting so out of control upset. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I even color coded the book so that I would remember whose side everybody was on <laughs> like in this like argument. Nice. The two guys that we're going to be talking about more or less are going to be Thorbjorn and Thororin. So those two names sound really familiar and that's where I apologize to you and why I color-coded everything that I was working on. <laughs> Thorbjorn and Thororin. Yep. So Thorbjorn and Thororin are in from two different families whose their grandfathers had been the ones that had come to this place and started it. But they had already started to have some conflicts with each other. So... Thororin's mother, her name is Greerid, and Greerid was a satyr worker. Okay. So, at the same time, Thorbjorn had a son named Gunlug. <laughs> Gunlug. Nice. Gunlug? We'll see. He had a son named Gunlug. Gunlug. So, Gundlug had a passion for knowledge and was interested in studying witchcraft from Greerid. So you've got this son of this one guy going to the mother of another. The to mother study of another, magic. To study magic. <laughs> That's purely what it was. It was according to Gundlug, who I'm going to trust. It was just about studying magic. So he was kind of crossing the line. Of the feud to learn about magic. Exactly. Yes. So, Gunlung, he had a friend named Odd. They were BFFs, really tight with each other. And his, Odd's mother, Katla, she was also a satyr worker. And she really, really thought that Gunlung was super hot. So <laughs> his friend's mom, his friend's mom. So Odd's oh mom, Katla, was also a satyr worker, but Gunlug didn't want to learn magic from her because the woman was creepy trying to hook up with him. Hit on him. So uh. he was going to Greerid to learn magic. So one day Gunlug was over at his friend Odd's house and Katla, who was always asking him if he would be interested in spending the night at their house. <laughs> <laughs> just like wow lady and he was wink wink yeah nudge, wink nudge. wink nudge, nudge. <laughs> and so she asked him like she's like oh are you going do you want to spend the night here tonight with me and my son odd and he was like no that's okay i'm i'm gonna go now and katla was like oh are you going to quote go are you going to stroke the old hag up the belly Oh, gosh. And <laughs> in, in what I assume is a sexual reference <laughs> yeah. to Greerid. And he was like, no, that's not what I'm doing. And he was like, also, you shouldn't call her an old hag because you're like the same age as her. <laughs> Which did not sit well with Katla. 
Which we will get back to. <laughs> so Gundlug continued to study with Greerid. So one night, Gundlug and Odd, they were both at Greerid's house, and Gundlug and Greerid had spent the whole day talking and working on, like, learning about magic and all this stuff. And so Gundlug was like, well, I'll see you later. I have to walk Odd back to, like, his place. And Greerid was like, do not go tonight. And he was like, whoa, lady. (laughs) And Greerid was like, no. She said, there are too many spirits that are out tonight. And I am worried that you don't look like a lucky man right now. Like there, I can see kind of into your future, like there are spirits out and it's not looking good for you. Mm -hmm. Your future looks like it's dimming basically. And she was like, so do not leave. And he was like, I have to go walk odd back home. Like, I'm sorry. I will be fine. I'm a big, strong man. And she was like, okay. So Gunlug walked odd back home and Kotla was like, would you like to spend the night tonight? And he was like, no, it's fine. I'm walking home. (laughs) I'm not going to hook up with you, Kotla. That's like, not what's going to happen. And she was like, okay, fine. So he left, and the next thing that anybody ever heard of him oh, no. was in the middle of the night, Thorbjorn, Gunlug's dad, opens the front door, and his son is lying on the front door and face down in the dirt, and his back is cut up with claw marks and cut all the way to the bone. Oh, geez. And so he basically... It doesn't, he doesn't say he dies, but I'm just going to say he does not show up again in the story. (laughs) So it said it kept him in bed all for the rest of the winter. And Odd started to tell people that he thought that Greerid had used her satyr magic to like astral project and attack him during the night. Uh-huh. And so Thorbjorn is m- so mad because Greerid, again, she's from the opposing family. Right. So there's that yeah. complication there of like, it's not just one guy's word against like this woman. It's that she's from a, a feuding family. Yeah. So it's like they would think that she would have, they're, they're likely to believe it because they want to believe that she would do something bad to their side. Exactly. So... There was kind of a justice system that was set up like at the time where they would take during like a particular season before winter comes, they would be able to like kind of hold courts of law. And so Thorbjorn called Gririd up to like one of these kind of like councils of like judgment. And what was complicated was that there are were kind of two priests. There was Snorid the priest and Arnkel the priest, but both of them are on different sides. Fjorbjorn uh-huh. and Snorri the priest were on the same side, but Arnkel and Greerid, uh, Arnkel was Greerid's sister. Okay. So neither one of these priests were actually allowed to uh, make any decisions. They had to pick like a third party. So Helgi, the priest, he became kind of the, this like impartial judge, like in the story. And so everybody kind of went up to either support Greerid 
or to like attack her. But ultimately the priest decided that there was no evidence to show that she had any hard feelings towards uh Gunlug and that she wouldn't have done this. And so uh-huh. they just let it go. And I thought that was really, what's interesting about that is that this was like a woman being accused of witchcraft. Yeah. And they were like, eh, no evidence. So we're going to throw that one out. <laughs> Instead of they, kind of like what we think like they of. Didn't try like, to see if she weighed more than a duck or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, this wasn't like a Salem witch trial. They were like, this woman did magic. And she was like, I would not use my magic to hurt him. Like she wasn't saying I'm not magic. <laughs> yeah. She was saying I wouldn't use my magic to like hurt him. I have no reason to do that. It's more like they were, you know, she got a letter for, for the improper use of magic, but then they couldn't prove that she had improperly <laughs> used her magic. Exactly. She was called up in front of the Ministry of Magic. In front of the Wizengamot. <laughs> so Thorin, of course, was there at the court to defend his mother. We haven't heard a whole lot of him ever since I mentioned him. But Thorin was there when his mother, Greerid, was like brought up. So there were bad feelings that were kind mm-hmm. of raised from how dare you accuse my mother of hurting your son. Like it was just another thing to add to like these mounting the, problems. Yeah, the between grievances families. between them. So the most important thing to know now that that trial was over, bad feelings on both sides, but also a ship had come from Norway um, and had landed and it was bringing goods to the people that were there. And so the people who were the sailors on the ship, they kind of had to be taken in by different families. So Thorin, he's also called Thorin the Black. He was very kind hearted mm-hmm. and people even said kind of dismissively about him that he was kind of like womanly with how kind he was, mm-hmm. which is like a huge diss back then for them to be like Uh he was so soft-hearted like a woman and and basically it means like he wasn't quick to murder people yeah that wasn't part of like his personality but anyway he took in the captain of the ship and some of the um sailors so this guy his name's alf greer and nagley they show up later they're They were the people from the boat. They're Norwegians from the boat. You'll need to know. But anyway, so a bunch of these sailors came and stayed at Thorin the Black's house. So normally Thorin, even though they're enemies, Thorin and Thorbjorn would keep their horses in a mountain pasture that was really close, that were really close to each other. Mm-hmm. And normally they it would just seems like breeding ground for trouble. It, absolutely. I'm like, there are not enough fences to like <laughs> stop you guys from like eventually getting in a fight. So as autumn was approaching, Thorbjorn was going to pull in some of his horses for slaughter to eat them for meat over the winter. Mm-hmm. They ate horses. We can all be cool about it. Horses are meat. <laughs> horses are meat too. But anyway, they were going to pull some of them in. So Thorbjorn asked some of his workers to go out into the field and bring in the horses so that they could slaughter them, you know, get that ready for like wintertime. But when his workers went out there, they discovered that the horses were missing. Oh, no. And And who are they going to blame? Well, so Thorbjorn was like, oh, my goodness, 
where are my horses? Where have they gone? Did they wander off? Like, did they, are we going to be able to find them? So he sends Odd, not to his mother, which I think makes more sense, but that's fine. Thorbjorn wanted to handle this with a man. So he had Odd go to a man called Spa Gills, which actually spa is um, a word that kind of means like magic, but a male, it's like the yeah. male magic. So the guy was basically called Magic Gill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Thorbjorn sends Odd to Spa Gills and says, like, see if he can find where my horses are. So in this element of the story, Odd goes to this guy and asks, can you search for Thorbjorn's horses? So this guy closes his eyes, astral projects, and then he kind of turns back to Odd and he says, tell Thorbjorn exactly what I'm about to tell you. The horses have, the horses have not strayed, but they are gone. Just count it as a loss and move on. Uh. And I'm like, oh, whoa. Because <laughs> I'm like, what did he see that he's just like, uh, just let it go. Just the horses haven't wandered off. Like they're not around. But let it go. Don't push this matter. Just let, yeah. just let it be. So Odd goes back to Thorbjorn and he tells him exactly what Spagils has told him. And Thorbjorn is like, oh, my gosh, I bet that the reason he told me that <laughs> is because it was Thorin. Thorin, and he doesn't want me to fight Thorin. So do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to gather up all of my friends and allies and buddies, and we are going to go and have a chit-chat with Thorin. <laughs> so Thorbjorn gathers up his people, and he goes out to Thorin's place to have a discussion with him, a calm and <laughs> reasoned discussion. I'm sure. But, and this is the part that never showed up in any of the research that I was doing about, like, satyr work and textile magic. But I think that it counts and that it's very interesting. Before they go, Odd asks if he can go to his mom's house. So they go to his mom's house and he kind of tells his mom what they're about to go do. And she gives him a special tunic to wear to mm. protect him. Yeah, And so the fact that that is an object that has been weaved by his satyr working mother yeah, to be like a magical object of protection that's on him, I think that that also would count as satyr work and like yeah. line up with like the textile and weaving stuff. But it never gets included in the research when they're discussing like this story. It's only like the later parts that they like look into. Anyway, so... After he gets, after Odd gets his special tunic, they all go over to Thorin's house. And they're like, knock, knock, knock. Thorin's like, what's the problem? And Thorbjorn was like, hey, you know those horses that I normally have, like, stored up by your place? They are missing, and I would like them back. And Thorin's like, okay, I don't have your horses. I don't know where they are. And Thorbjorn is like, well, me and my friends, we're all here to search your property. And Thorin is like, I don't think that you have the proper like paperwork and warrants to search my house, which I thought was really interesting because this again is yeah. like being written like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But he's like, you don't That's have the crazy. right to look through my house. And 
Thorbjorn was like, no, I can do a door court, which is basically a bunch of people come to your house and they all decide that you're guilty of something, which I don't think. <laughs> That's not fair when you like pre-stack the Exactly. He's like, no, all person. my friends agree that I have reason to search your place. <laughs> and here, I think that Greerid, the his mother, Thorin's mom, is wrong because Greerid, I think she has to take some responsibility for what happens next. Because Greerid says to her son, Thorin, don't be such a woman about this. Like, oh, don't no. make them think that you're a woman by, like, just bending over and letting them, like, do whatever they want to you. And so Thorin gets super fired up and he's like no how dare you because then Thorbjorn is like no me and my door court of friends have decided like you're guilty so the sea captain says hey Thorin just so you know me and my crew are on your side and we will help you in this so it starts to turn into a fight and they are, yeah. they're having, fight, 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 oh fight. My, they like all go into like the front yard of like the house <laughs> and they're all having this like huge fight. Well, let me grab my popcorn real quick. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody is like cutting everybody. They're not, nobody, nobody got hurt in this part of the scuffle, except for a part that you'll find out later. Anyway, so they're fighting each other, like, in the front yard, and no no weapon is hitting Odd. He's able to, like, dodge every part, which, I, again, I think is an interesting thing to note because he's wearing he's a magic, magic tunic. tunic. Anyway, so the women, who are not Greerid, who is, like, starting some of this, who is, like, involved with this, some of the other women who were in there who had been like sewing, including Thorin's wife, Ode, her name, it's A U D. I don't want it to sound too much like Odd. Yeah. So I'll say Ayud. Ayud screams for some of the other women to come and to try to help stop the fight. So the women are throwing fabric on top of the swords, which again, another oh. reference to like fabric, but also yeah. it makes sense because they were trying to cover their swords so that right, they, couldn't so they couldn't like chop and fight each, each other, other. whatever. So once the women started throwing all of these like pieces of fabric, like onto the swords and being like, you guys need to calm down. Like you guys need to stop this. Thorbjorn's men start retreating and running off like in the other direction and Thorbjorn kind of makes sure that everything is like put together and fine. And when he turns around to go into the house, he finds a severed hand. <gasps> and it's, what? yes, I know. And it's a woman's hand. It's a severed oh, woman's no. hand. And he was like, oh my gosh, gross. What is this? So he goes into the house with like the severed hand and he was like, Greerid, mom, I found a severed hand outside. And he's like, do you know where my wife is? And his mom's like, she's fine. And Ayud was like, please do not come in here right now. And he was like, <laughs> no, what's going on? Like, what happened? And she was like, my hand got cut off. <laughs> but it, everything's it, fine. But everything's fine. Your mom is fixing it. <laughs> like, she's taking care of it. It's fine. Oh, my gosh. And which, another thing that's interesting about that is inside of the Poetic Edda, there's actually Odin giving like life advice and like things that are wise. And one of the things that he says is that like a severed hand, since it does not end your life, it's not the worst thing that can happen to you. And so I find that fascinating that again, like this guy's wife is like 
It's fine. Let it go. Yes, my hand got cut off, but it's fine. But no, all of Thorin's friends and Alfgreer, the sea captain, were like, let's go and find those fools. So they chased after Thorbjorn's people. And uh-huh. when they kind of get close and they kind of like slow down and they're listening, they hear odd well, they hear these men like discussing stuff, and Thorbjorn was actually like, you know what? I was surprised because Thorin usually is such a woman about these things. I didn't think that he was gonna like <laughs> try to like fight us at all. So I'm actually very uh-huh. impressed that Thorin wanted to fight. And then Odd was like, oh, Thorin might be brave, but he was so stupid that he cut off his own wife's hand. <sighs> and Thorin, who heard him say that, was like, I'm gonna kill you. So he and all of his men jump through where these guys were sitting behind some haystacks and a bigger fight ensues. And oh, Thorbjorn is killed immediately by Thorin. His sword went like right into his head. Jeez. So there's a huge scuffle, but the people who kind of are the worst for wear are Thorbjorn. Like if they didn't die, they're running off. So Thorin then takes his horses, which I'm like, <laughs> you were originally accused of that, but I guess he was like, Adding whatever. insult to injury. This. Yeah. And so what's, then there's kind of like a sad part where the guy, Nagley, Nagley uh-huh. was one of the ship's men. Anyway, he saw yeah. the fight happening. He thought Thorin was going to lose. And he, like a coward, like had taken off like during like the scuffle. So when they, yeah. when Thorin got on the horses and they went to go get Nagley, He thought it was Thorbjorn on the horses coming to get him. And so he just straight up jumped off of a cliff (gasps) so that he didn't get killed. Oh, my gosh. So that he wouldn't get. Get like murdered. Yeah, so he wouldn't get sword stabbed, but he definitely didn't (laughs) live. Oh, no. That's a choice. So anyway, but he's gone. But yeah, that's what. Because there's this whole thing where they're like, he went. So. When Thorin got home, he told his wife what had happened, and she was like, okay, whoa, you killed a lot of people, and <laughs> you're going to get in, like, so much trouble because, like, you definitely didn't have, like, a reason to do that. Yeah. Or, like, yeah, for so much of that to, like, happen. So, anyway, she's like, you need to go to, or Greerid, his mother, says, you need to go to the priest that's my brother and you need to stay with him so thorin's feeling really guilty he's feeling really bad he's going to his friends and his relatives to kind of be like this is what happened they insulted my manhood and they're all kind of like okay winter's almost here so there's not going to be a court until the weather clears up but we will stand by you uncle his Uncle is uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Good old uncle, uncle. <laughs> uncle, uncle. So they're all kind of, you know, keeping him within their kind of housing area. Yeah. They're saying, stay close to us. That way, if other kind of posses form, they won't come to your house. They'll instead have to get through the. Like all of us. All of us and their better fortified um, uh-huh. homesteads. So he's staying with them. So then his mother, Greerid, she comes over to her brother, uncle, the priest's place. And she was like, Thorin, I have to talk to you. Odd was the one who cut off your wife's hand. And he was like, are you sure? 
And she was like, not only did your wife tell me that it was him who cut it off, but now odd, now in your absence, he's going around telling everybody in the town that he was able to cut off your hand because you weren't able to defend your wife. Oh, no. So, Thorin, I suddenly understood why Greerid is so mad at Odd. It's because Odd had accused her of witchcraft. So I was like, oh, because just now I was like, why is Greerid trying to start this fight again? But yeah. no, she's also upset with Odd because Odd was the one who had said that she had attacked that guy when she didn't. Oh my gosh, this family has so much drama. <laughs> So Worthy of the E channel. Oh my gosh. So Thorin is like, if Odd was the one who did this to my wife, like I am going to get him. So he forms a group and they all go over to Kotla. So this is where we get into some more of the Seder magic. Yes, magic. So Kotla heard them coming or other people had seen that like they were like on the way and odd was uh-huh. like oh my gosh mom like what am i gonna do uh, <laughs> such a loser so he's like freaking out about it because he's like oh they're coming to get me and his mom was like calm down i can handle them so thorin's group gets to kotla's house and when they burst through the door kotla is just sitting spinning with her distaff and she was like what do you guys need and they're like we're looking for odd he cut off my wife's hand and we are gonna get him and she was like oh i'm sorry he's not here and they're like what do you mean he's not here we know he lives here she's like i'm sorry i don't know what to tell you like he's not here and they're like we're gonna search your premises anyway and she's like that's absolutely fine here this woman over here she has the key to the only locked door in my house and as opposed to some fairy tales when she's like don't go into that door no she's like here's a key to (laughs) the one locked room in my house you can even look in that one because i have nothing to hide So they go looking like all over her house. They cannot find Odd anywhere. And they're like, ugh, so frustrating. So they leave. And after they get a certain distance from the house, suddenly they're like, wait. I think that she was not holding a distaff. I think that was Odd. And she made us think (laughs) that she was holding a distaff. Uh Uh-huh. By using her, like, witchcraft magic. So they're like, okay, let's go and get her. She can't fool us this time. So Kotla sees him coming, sees the men coming, and she's like, oh, odd, they're coming back. And this time she was outside, and she's like, just bend over and don't say anything. And he was like, okay. So he bent over in front of her, and they come around the corner, and they see Kotla standing there brushing a goat. And they're like, (laughs) we know Odd is hiding here somewhere. And she was like, then find him. I don't care. Just like go look (laughs) for him. So again, they search the entire like premises, grabbing her distaff, like seeing if it's under there. No, they can't find him anywhere. They leave. So after they'd walked a certain distance from the house, they were like, oh my gosh, that wasn't a goat. She was brushing Odd. Oh my goodness. (laughs) How are they, like, realizing this? Because once they get a certain distance from the house, her Uh, magic... Magic, like, fades away. Like, fades, because they're a distance from her hypnotic... Uh, Interesting, so they can see what... They, they, like, can remember what they really saw rather than what she was, like, making Yeah, than what she was kind of, like, making appear. Yeah. 
So they start making their way back and she sees them coming. So she's like, Odd, go lay down in that trash pile, okay? And he's like, okay. <laughs> Be the trash that you yeah, are. Yeah, like go oh, lay down kidding. the trash like you are. <laughs> so he goes and he lays down like in the garbage. So they like, you know, come around the corner again. And she's like, what do you want? And they're like, we know you're tricking us. We know that Odd is here somewhere. And she was like, okay, fine search around maybe this time you might want to go and search in the pigsty over there by that garbage heap why don't you go check under my pig and see like if he's under there and they like look out over the field she's pointing out and there's like you know the trash heap of compostables and there's just a pig rolling around in it over there <laughs> and so they were like okay fine maybe odds not here so they turn around they start walking a distance away and they go oh my gosh she did it again we're like so dumb and like gullible odd was totally that pig that we were looking at over there so they all of them were like okay what are we gonna do because no matter how much we keep going back over there we're just like making idiots of ourselves what like what can we do to defeat her like satyr magic and thorin was like oh duh like my mom gririd she's also like a satyr worker she also does like witchcraft like i need to like get her so they go back to his house and then he's like mommy i need you to help me (laughs) to get odds mom and she's like oh my gosh okay fine so she comes with them so katla sees again the group is like coming back and this time she and we've talked about how there's kind of like a platform that these women would sit on inside the house or even sometimes be outside but it was so that when they did their drop spindle it, they could drop it further. They would could drop it further. So she opens up a hatch in her seat and shoves Odd down like into like the inside of like the platform and she closes it and she sits on top. So they all like come in and this time Greerid is like leading the group and she was like, I'm not going to let you make a fool out of us anymore. And she grabs a seal skin bag. And in some translations, I think they say it's a goat skin bag. But she shoves Kotla's head inside of the bag. And they (laughs) hold the bag on her so that she's not able to. And this is where people think maybe she was hypnotizing them like with her eyes or something. Uh Because whatever it was, shoving a bag over her head and like holding her down, they were able to then search the house and open the hatch and find Odd inside of this hatch. So they pull him out. And they are like, you are going to like stand in court for how you chopped off a woman's hand because there's absolutely no reason for that chopping mm-hmm. off like a woman's hand. Cause even if like, even if Thorin was justified in his fighting and killing because he was trying to defend his honor as a man, there was yeah. no way that it was okay for odd to chop off a woman's hand. Yeah. It's entirely inappropriate. Everyone knows that. So when he stood trial, he was condemned to hang. Whoa. Yes, he was condemned to hang. And when he went to hang at the gallows, Arkel the priest said to Odd, it's your mother who has brought you to this evil end. One thing is sure, it's a wicked mother you have. And Kotla, this did not sit with her personally. (laughs) And so she said, maybe he has a wicked mother, but I never wanted him to suffer like this. Now I want you all to suffer because of me. Indeed, I'm sure you will, but there's no point in denying it any longer. I'm the one responsible for Gundlug's mishap when he he got 
like flayed basically like clawed up in like the back and he said as for you uncle since your mother's dead she can't bring you bad luck but i lay this curse on you that before this is over you'll suffer more because of your father than odd has ever suffered because of me and then they they took her down to the bottom of the cliff and they stoned her to death oh man for her crime against uh gunblood yeah. And so there's other stuff in the story that will like the you know with Arnkle and stuff but yeah, she pretty much lays down like a hard curse like on him. So the three kind of magic spots where people kind of have clues and hints about uh the magic that was kind of going on at the time was the Spa Gills who was able to kind of send out his consciousness and look around for the lost horses. And again, that was related to weaving because it was believed to go out on like a string. Your consciousness would go out like a piece of yarn yeah. or string. Then there was the magic tunic. Right. And then also the work that the Seder worker was able to do by kind of like hypnotizing them into seeing things differently. So those mm. are kind of our hints of like the different beliefs there were around the magic that these people could do by being satyr workers. Yeah. And the, and they were right in thinking that a satyr worker could either like astral project or whatever it was to kill someone by like slashing them up. Yes, that's true. I totally forgot that his mother, yeah. Kotla send out, sent out her consciousness to like cut up gun lug. Was it odd that accused the other mother? Yes. Odd accused uh, Greerid of being the one that hurt Gunlug. That had done it when it was his own mom that did it. Yeah. And you know what? Interesting. He, and I'm like, he probably knew that it was his mom who had done it too. And this is my theory. I This is a made up story. And, <laughs> <laughs> and my theory, if I was writing it, was probably that like he wanted to kind of throw shade on like this other person. Yeah. But it really was like because because there were already tensions that existed between those two families, Thorbjorn and Saren's family. Yeah. Like it was easy to accuse Greerid of doing that and get Thorbjorn to be mad about it because yeah, and she even was if, from the wrong family. Yeah, and even if he had no intention of like it wasn't because he was trying to hurt her, but he was just trying to protect his own mom. So he was like, what is the most likely excuse that I can come up with that is going to keep the blame away from my own mother who's on, like, our side of things? It's like, accuse the person that does magic on the other side. Yeah. And then, seriously, what is so fascinating to me about this, uh, when you think about them being kind of called up for witchcraft, they weren't so much... When they would get in trouble for doing witchcraft, it was witchcraft that... And I'm using the word witchcraft when that's not the word that would have been used by these right, people. Right, magic. That's just the word that I'm, like, I think we're in today most, like, familiar with. Um, yeah. But it was for doing bad things to hurt other people with magic. Like, they right. were allowed to practice magic. And even the story was, like, written down and recorded by Christians, yeah. And in Iceland, it's interesting because people have noted that even when they became Christian, they weren't anti-paganism as strongly as like other places were. 
Yeah. They weren't like, oh, everything that isn't Christianity equals like the devil and evil. Like they, Iceland more so than other places was able to kind of like hold space for, yeah, like for, for both. And so even though they're talking about like, oh, she used witchcraft, they're not like terrified of it unless it was being used for harming other people. Right. And so it was almost like in the same way that like, men were allowed to like defend their families. Yeah. Like you can have a sword and you can use it to defend someone. But if you just go out and murder somebody, then yeah, like then we have like a problem. So there was actually like this view of magic that was like more nuanced where they were like, Oh, we will allow for like this type of like magic. And for, and it was actually like helpful, you know, they would want women to like sew fabric that then was given to like, people to use as like protection. Like they kind of believed in that. Yeah. And it, and it was okay. It could exist at the same time that like Christian values existed. Yeah. That's super interesting. So I'm really grateful that, you know, we had a listener, Aurora, if you're out there that wanted to give us like more information, more leads in that, like led us to Seder magic, because while I would have just, you know, chalked it up to like textiles and weaving are like important. Like there is other stuff that kind of flows from it. And even we could go back and kind of show where in Sleeping Beauty, we get that idea of like fates or fairy people of the fae that come to a baby and can like give him like blessings and lay out like their fate. And so this was a super interesting topic to go looking at, not to mention all of the awesome stories that have been written down in relation to like Norse mythology. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at Incompetech.com. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. What I love about this story is how it seriously is set up like salacious neighborhood gossip uh-huh. that like you could just like recap it by being like, oh my gosh. So then Thorin was like, oh, <laughs> Thorbjorn, I'm coming for your wife. Like, oh man, it's great.